You are listening to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kelly Kasperson. Hello, friends. I'm so excited today to be with Dr. Shannon Widlansky, who was trained as an OB-GYN and is now a life coach at the Life Coach School, which is where I trained. So friends with physicians who are life coaches, they're my favorite people. Um, You've been a gender expert for over eight years, and you help institutions use more gender-inclusive language and increase their understanding of transgender issues. And you are a facilitator of the Our Whole Lives curriculum, which teaches sexuality to all ages. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so happy to be here. So what we're going to talk about today, I have never talked about this on the podcast and I'm so excited because people ask me for resources all the time. We're going to talk about how to talk to kids about sexuality. And today you brought with us so we can talk about five common mistakes that adults make in talking to kids about sexuality. Can you just tell people, you know, real quick, your journey? Like, how did you go from med student, OB-GYN resident, OB-GYN to life coach, inclusive language expert? Sure. So I think the journey started when I was young and I, you know, joked that I had to go to medical school to learn about my body because (laughs) my parents didn't take care of that education at the time. We didn't have much of it at school either. And so as I began to learn things, I thought like people should know more about their bodies. And then as I went through OBGYN residency and kind of seeing the effects of some of the ways we do teach and all that goes into the mistakes that I'm going to talk about, seeing the effects of like how we teach it affecting individuals as they become adults and they're thinking around their bodies. So that kind of stimulated more thought and conversation. And then our whole lives curriculum is that sexuality curriculum. And they were looking for facilitators where I live. And so I was like, sure, I'll do that. I think all of those things together kind of built up what I do in that realm. And as far as gender inclusivity, um, you know, about eight plus years ago, I had a loved one transition to be their true selves. And my husband and I being the physicians in the family were like trying to help navigate the medical system and realized how much is not known within the medical system, especially back then. I think it's getting better. Not great, but it's better. And so I started on this journey and to educate healthcare professionals, but then people are like, oh, you have this knowledge, help me. And it turned into like helping schools and then helping schools, putting the two things together with their human growth and development curriculum, which is the new term for sexual education and how to make that more inclusive. But my goal in it is not just for the transgender community, it's to be inclusive of all bodies because of what I saw in my OBGYN career of the effect of the way we taught. Yeah. So just so people know, because they might not know, like, what's the problem with the way it was taught? What did you, what were you seeing? Well, I think the biggest thing is the absolute language, which I think is one of the errors people make, you know, um, to say women have a uterus. So then when I was seeing, talking to women about having hysterectomies, then, you know, they're questioning, will I still be a woman? Or even like showing pictures of anatomy, we had patients desire change of their anatomy because of these pictures they saw and they looked different than the pictures. And so they thought something was wrong when it was like, no, it's just normal biodiversity. Some things are bigger, some things are smaller. Yeah, I see that a lot in the current trends for labiaplasty. 
because that body part, the vulva is really kind of almost banned from being presented. And so what we do see are, they tend to be very curated images or medically enhanced or photography enhanced images. And so a lot of people have a lot of shame about not fitting up to this ideal, which is not even reality in the first place. It's just all that's available on the internet. So funny, because that's exactly what I was thinking about was people want their labial changed. And, but even teenagers, you know, seeing this picture at school and then coming in going, something's wrong. It's like, no, nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. We're all snowflakes. And end of podcast. That's, that's all people need to know. You're normal. <laughs> you're welcome. And, and yeah, you're welcome. And, and everything's on a continuum, right? Like yes. our bodies are just, we're on this continuum of some are like this and some are like this. And, you know, stereotyping is done commonly, but isn't always wise to do. I see that so much in for men, penis owning men, the definition of manhood is really tied up in the function of these body parts. And so say there's trouble with erections or say there's trouble with ejaculation or whatever it might be, their core of what a man is, is really wrapped up in the function of these body parts, which is, can be devastating if the function is undergoing a medical condition or is being challenged by health problems, their core identity of manhood is shook because they define a man as erections, ejaculation. Exactly. And so you can see where that kind of language harms all people. Like people say well, transgender community. No, it's not just the transgender community. It's all community to put penises and their functions with a gender. Totally. Awesome. Okay. So when I grew up, I grew up in a Catholic education. When I grew up, it wasn't, I mean, it was called sex education, but it was basically like disease and pregnancy prevention plans would have been like a more accurate way of describing what was being taught. Yes. And certainly like the female, you know, traditional, but traditional, the vulva, the external genitalia wasn't even presented in sex education. In my memory, it was a uterus and ovaries. It was all internal, let alone that a clitoris existed. Oh no, don't even say that word. <laughs> Dare right? not speak its name. <laughs> right, because you don't really have to talk about the clitoris when it's a pregnancy and disease prevention plan. Plus it's related to pleasure. So God forbid we talk about that. <laughs> right, yeah, I know. I, I just, I, it's, I, think it's, I think it's funny, but again, my lens is biased because I do this work, but it's like, do you think teenagers are like practicing sex just so they can practice disease and, and pregnancy prevention? Like, no, they're doing it because it's pleasurable. Because they're like, let's get really good at preventing disease and pregnancy. We should practice. <laughs> like it's pleasurable, people. That's why they do it. That's why we all want to do it. Okay, so getting back to the five common mistakes adults make in talking to kids about sexuality. Number one is not planning ahead. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, I think some people get so nervous about this conversation that they avoid it <laughs> at all costs. They don't think about what they're going to say. And, you know, there's some back and forth. Oh, I should, I should be the one to talk to them. I don't want to learn from their peers. Like this is what I hear when I coach people about their feelings on teaching. And so then if they don't plan, then it's like when they finally get the one question, they think, well, I really need to answer. I don't know how to get away from it. They have no idea what they're going to say. And then that feels almost worse to either try to avoid it and then if you finally do answer it, that you're not really ready with an answer that feels good to you. So would your advice be like, think about having the talk before you actually have the talk? 
Exactly. Like (laughs) it'll always go better if you think about it ahead of time. What do you want to include? What do you want to talk about? What's your message that you want to give? And I always tell adults, like knowing that you can't control your child's behavior. Trust me, I have four kids and none of them turned out like me. (laughs) So it doesn't work. But like talk in a way of sharing your thoughts, sharing your feelings. Think about what it is you want to share, how you want to share it, the message you want to give before you get to that conversation. Awesome. Second common mistake is um, that there's more than sex and puberty involved in talking about sexuality. Right. And we kind of touched on this, but I think of it as the five circles of sexuality, which comes from the our whole lives program. And I, so the first one, sensualization. So I present these to people so that they think like, what do you want to talk about within these circles? So sensualization is kind of the appreciation of one's body and other bodies. Body image is a part of that. What kind of things we like to look at, sounds, things like that. That's sensualization. The second one is intimacy. And I think a lot of people forget this one. It's the sharing, the caring, the trusting, the vulnerability, real important part of sexuality. The third one is the identity, recognizing all the identities, the identity of what's assigned at birth, the gender identity, sexual orientation, but even gender roles, what that means for individuals. And then sexualization is the fifth one. The fourth one is the what is taught, the reproductive health, puberty, sex, but also things like sexually transmitted infections, contraception, and even abortion. But that fifth one is sexualization. And that's about like how media portray sexuality and can even include things like consent, rape, incest. And so what I'm saying is like be aware of all the aspects of sexual health. It makes it more comprehensive when you touch on the different circles. What is your value within each circle? What do you want to teach? But when we teach a more well-rounded education, it looks like there are better outcomes. Like there are countries that do it way better than we do. And they have much better outcomes than we do in their teens. What countries do it better? Uh, the Netherlands. All of them. Not actually not, <laughs> probably not all of them. No, no, not, definitely not. Not no, no, we're, we're, <laughs> we're doing well in some aspects. <laughs> so I think the Netherlands has a well-known, more complete education. And so what they see are, it's interesting The like first sexual intercourse is about the same age as the United States, but the number of pregnancies, births, and abortions are lower than the United States. And a lot of people credit that to their education being complete. One of the things I heard that they do well is they help teenagers tackle difficult scenarios. Like one, one of the things they were teaching teenagers is like, how do you navigate a conversation where one partner wants a condom to be worn and the other partner doesn't? So it's almost like they're preparing kids to think about difficult conversations. So they're just not like caught on the spot and have had you know, no preparation for these things. Right, which is genius because so many other things are involved in that moment. So many emotions and thoughts and feelings that if we can think about those things on a calm level ground, it's easier to think, what would I want to say? Beautiful. I mean, I think one of these, you know, of all the the five circles you're talking about is so important is the idea of consent. Mm-hmm. Because I see adult humans, you know, stereotypically, but I know it's not always, but stereotypically in a heterosexual couple, the woman is having sex because he wants to, or because it's what she should do. Cause that's what you do in a marriage, but it's almost like there isn't 
and actual willing consent involved. And it's like that whole conversation of sexuality is for you and that you need to consent to it and it needs to be equally for you as it is for somebody else was never ever a concept that people even think about. No, and, and to even see it evolve from just saying yes. If they say yes, then they've consented. But now it's, I forget the language, an enthusiastic and unprovoked yes. So meaning not a yes that comes from pressure, but it has to be an enthusiastic and I forget the other word, but something along the lines of, yeah, unprovoked and not under duress. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not having sex just so that a bad or negative consequence doesn't result because of not doing it. Right. Is what is I, I see a lot of that. And I think, you know, in the early talks of consent, it was like rape and then, you know, sex that you want. And it's like, no, no, no. There's this big middle ground where women are having almost coercive. If that, but like, they're not saying no, and it is in a you know, relationship, but it's, it's not a hell yes by any stretch of the imagination. Right. And I think if there's teaching a lot of young people, it means like you, you shouldn't have to convince, you know, if somebody says no, then you don't keep going about what about this, but I thought you loved me. Like, da, da, da. like that's not a consensual yes. Even if you get to yes. Consent. Talk to your kids about consent, people. It's so important. Please. As you ladies know, I'm obsessed with vulvar skincare to increase pleasure and decrease pain with intimacy and daily life in general. They have Reverie, which provides powerful hormone-free relief from vaginal dryness with an easy-to-use vaginal insert that renews your body's moisture for everyday comfort and intimacy. So give Bonafide a try today. No hormones and no prescription required. Free shipping. And to get 20% off your first purchase when you subscribe to any of their products, go to hellobonafide.com slash notbroken and use the promo code not broken. That's hello, B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E dot com slash not broken and code not broken for 20% off at checkout. Okay. The next one, five common mistakes um, that the conversation is one and done. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of people wish. And it's not surprising because we've often referred to it historically as the talk. The talk. But should we should start referring to it as the talks. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, well, are you kidding me? You expect me to talk to my, you know, toddler about it? And and there are so many ways. Because again, if you think about the five circles, it's not necessarily talking about sex, but it's talking about their bodies. And so, you know, I often tell the story of my three-year-old nephew standing in front of my sister and I and playing with his penis. And my sister was like, it is totally normal to play with your penis, but it's something that we do in private. That's a private activity. So you can either stop or you can go to your room and be by yourself for a little bit. He's like, see ya. (laughs) And he went to his room. But like, that's an example of where you can bring in conversations, you know? about kids' bodies. And even, you know, if you think about the diaper change, I've seen so many people like the child reaches, assuming a non-poopy diaper, of course, but the child reaches down and sometimes, oh no, he's going, oh no. Like that has an effect. Like the kids don't understand why, like there's this (gasps) reaction to touching themselves, but it has an effect. So there's, and if you're past that point of diapers, it's still okay to start now. That's the other thing. Like, oh, I didn't, talk about that. I didn't do that. It's fine. There's so many opportunities in the news and media, how things are portrayed in the movies. So many opportunities to talk about it in different ways. Beautiful. And I think the importance of using medically accurate anatomic names, they actually did a study saying kids who have been trained in penis, vulva, scrotum, you know, clitoris, if there was an abuse situation, they were believed more and they were able to communicate what had happened better. 
Because if you don't give kids the language to say what happened, they're less likely to be believed and they're less likely to be able to actually describe what had happened. Interesting, interesting study. But calling it, I was, I did a urology residency and I'm still, I still have this story burned in my brain that like one dad had called his daughter's vulva her taco. And I'm still like, I'm still to this day like, oh, it's not a taco. <laughs> I, I have to say that because um, I used to do maternal fetal medicine and in the ultrasound unit, you know, the question was always, do you see a hot dog or a hamburger bun? And some people might've said taco because on ultrasound, that kind of three lines. So my specialty might have some life for that. <laughs> I've been working on them. I'm working on them. I've never heard of hamburger bun. That's interesting. Um, okay. So one and done that it's a, it's a lifelong, ideally lifelong conversation. Absolutely. Another number four common mistakes uh, is the pressure of like, you have to be perfect. You have to get it right when you have these conversations. Can you, can you explain that a little bit? Yes. So I have yet for to have somebody not mention this. Like I'm so afraid of not getting it right. But of course, what right means is different to each person. So for some people, it's like, I don't want them to have shame about their bodies. I don't want them to have shame about sex. I don't want to say something that traumatizes them later. I don't want to talk too soon. Like that won't be right. And then I hurt them. So it's these things like I have to get the right information at the right time in the right way. And so then that will be measured by their comfort level with their bodies and whether they talk to me and if you, I mean, this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> and so what I often say is, you are not going to get it all right. I'm not going to get it all right. And that's okay. Because it's, it's how you handle those mistakes. It's how you handle like if you have a change of opinion or thought or information, how do you handle that? You know, you go back and you say, Hey, you know, how I was telling you that, you know, how I've always called the outside of your genitals, your vagina. I just learned I was totally wrong. It's actually your vulva. The inside's your vagina. That's all it takes. And what great conversation to be able to admit that you make mistakes and you learn and you're not afraid to say that. Awesome. I love it. And then number five is using inclusive language or a mistake would be not using inclusive language when we talk to our kids about sexuality. Right. And this is something we talked about at the beginning, but even where it's that absolute language of women have babies. And I think I have a friend who's a woman of trans experience. So she was assigned male at birth and she's kind of saying to me, well, I'll never be a woman because I can't have babies. And I was like, my friend, you're not the only woman that can't have a baby. And it's not because other women are of trans experience, but it's that kind of like absolute language that creates an expectation. And we have to recognize that whether we're a school or whether we're an adult that's educating a parent or teacher, whatever, we have some authority. And so that really carries with young kids, especially of creates this idea, women have babies and bodies are supposed to look like this. And the problem is it doesn't open up all the possibilities. So what I teach schools, I'm like, it's real simple. Just say most, but not all. Most boys have penises and scrotums, but not all. Most women have babies, but not all. And that's all it takes. You don't have to have a medical degree to talk about all the variations. It's just accepting that there are variations to everything. Totally. I, I think a, another area that comes up with in, I have little kids, so I see it a lot is like the definition of a family, right? Like the, the families of mom and dad and kids of mm -hmm. like, well, that's, that's one type of family. That's how some families look. 
but that's not what what a family means. And that's also like as you talk to kids, assuming like some assuming gender of their future partners. Like when you're older and you have a you know insert girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, something on the binary that assumes their sexuality and assumes that binary only options, then it can close off conversation in the future. It sets an expectation for them that they may or may not live up to. And so I often, like Corey Silverberg wrote a couple of books that I love that I often recommend even to healthcare providers, like What Makes a Baby. That book is phenomenal. It does not include gender at one point. And what makes it great, I tell people, is if you are adoptive family, if you are a family with, you know, same gender parents or even single parent, like all family surrogacy will be covered under this explanation of conception. Awesome. Awesome. What other books do you recommend for parents or for teachers or for doctors when people are looking for... I grew up... I have not looked up this book to see if it's still in print. I remember the book my parents gave me and it was the wonderful way that babies were made. And there was a threesome in the book because God was in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) I can look back at it loving me now. I'm like, oh, it's a threesome because God was involved. And like, (sighs) I remember like there's three people and then a baby. So that was the book that I grew up with and the books have certainly come a very long way for kids. So what, what are your top go-to books? And we'll, we'll put them in the show notes. Sure. So the one I mentioned by Corey Silverberg, What Makes a Baby is great for conception and it can be read to young kids the way it is written. I often recommend it to healthcare providers because if they ask, how do I talk about this without gender? It's a beautiful example. It's done perfectly, medically accurate and inclusive. And then the other book that Corey Silverberg wrote is Sex is a Funny Word. That's another one of my favorite ones because... So that's more about bodies and masturbation and just physiology. And it's spoken again in such a gender inclusive all bodies way. My favorite example is when they show breasts or chests. I think they name it chests. And they have all these different chests on there, including like one with a one-sided mastectomy. Again, it's that like all bodies are different. So I love that. What age group do you think for sex is a funny word? So this is a tough one. I mean, I think comprehension wise, and I don't, I'm sure the publisher has a recommendation. I think comprehension wise, eight or nine might be young, but you know, it depends on families because everyone has different feelings of when you can talk about masturbation. So there are topics that people have different feelings on, I recognize. Whereas... Puberty is Gross, but also really awesome by Gina Loveless is really good. That to me is more like middle school, has way more information, more text per page, but really interesting. And I joke that I learned things in there. (laughs) Like I didn't learn this in my medical education. Wow. Like there are fun facts in there. (laughs) And my last favorite is the Everybody book by Rachel Simon. That's a great all-inclusive. And I would say... It depends on you and your feelings, but um, as long as they can keep attention to it, I think it's a lot of text for say like a five or six year old that might want more pictures, um, but maybe seven or eight could start handling that amount of text. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for giving us all good tips on talking to kids that we don't have to be perfect. We just have to be, you know, open and willing and curious and loving, and we're going to get a lot of it right. Any, any other final tips for people? I think it's just recognizing your feelings that if it's a scary topic, 
And it is for so many people, but it's recognizing and why is that? And so how do you move from... Because when you're coming from fear, then you're less likely to have the conversation and you're less likely to show up the way you want. So look at what you want it to look like. What would your ideal conversations, (laughs) more than one, look like? And the number one answer I always get, I want to be confident. So what do you have to believe to be confident? I believe I can answer questions. I believe I can you know, relay the information I want the way I want. And I believe I can find the answers when I don't know them. I love it. You can do hard things. We, I, in one of my preschools, we had like, this is pre COVID when you like sat on those hard wooden chairs in the gymnasium in, in a big circle. And we could have, you could bring in ideas for like what you want. And of course I know all the like sex therapists and sex educators in town. And so I was like, I want to bring in my friend who teaches how to talk to kids about sex. And so she came in and the parents were like, I found this out afterwards. Cause I'm like the crazy, I'm the crazy doctor parent. Right. And people were super apprehensive about that. And like what she was going to say, and it hands down was their favorite topic of the year. And they're like, we need to do this all the time. I wish I had this as a, as a kid, you know, all parents need this training is like, once you kind of realize like you can do this, it's it's not, it's not rocket science. It's mostly love and really wanting the best for your children and like preparing them for the world in an age appropriate way. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's why sometimes it's hard to say at this age, I do this at this. Sometimes it depends on the child. What do you think they can understand? I always say, keep your answer simple and short and let them ask more questions to decide how far to go. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, where can people find you? So I'm on Facebook and Instagram under self-revolutionized coaching. And you'll see me talk about some of these things we've talked about here today, but self-revolutionized coaching on Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. I'll post it in the show notes. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you.